0: Now, the Buckeye Extra podcast with Rob Aller, Bill Rabinowitz, and Joey Kaufman from the Columbus Dispatch. Hello, everybody, and welcome to another edition of the Ohio State Football Buckeye Extra podcast, Penn State edition. I'm joined by... uh, A good friend of mine, Frank Badani from the York Daily Record. That is my old newspaper. I came from the the Daily Record in New York, a great newspaper, to the Dispatch a long, long time ago. And uh, Frank was one of the people then. He was actually my competitor, one of my competitors. And I had a lot of respect for him (laughs) then. I I have a lot of respect for him now. And Frank, is—is how long have you covered uh, Penn State for the Uh, the Daily Record? uh, Since 1994, Bill. Oh, my. Okay. That's (laughs) Hey, that's a long time, Frank.
1: Well, it is and and uh stunningly enough their best season was their first.
0: That's exactly and right. They have not able to
1: replicate that uh, since.
0: And that team of course had Columbus's own, Westerville's own, Kajana Carter. Yes, they
1: one of the better, I mean and, and you guys understand this covering Ohio State, one of the better college offenses. Uh, oh,
0: unbelievable. Uh, Kerry of all Collins, time, yes.
1: Yes. Well, they had everything because they had Kerry Collins. They had Kyle Brady at tight end, Bobby Ingram, Freddie Scott at receiver. Joe Jaravicious was a rookie on that team who played. Um, Then you had all the linemen, including Marco Rivera, Jeff Hardings, who were drafted. They had everything. I mean, Kerry Collins didn't run, but he didn't really need to. It's kind of like CJ Stroud right now. I think Kerry was sacked five times all year. Wow. 12 games.
0: Wow. Yeah. Um well let's let's jump ahead to, to this year's team. Uh, obviously mm-hmm. not the 94 team, but not not a bad team. No. How <laughs> would you kind of describe the state of of Penn State? It's in a transition mode, I think, really. Um because
1: you have, you know, your six-year quarterback who depending on your view, you know, he's up and down, he's tough, but he's a little inconsistent. You have um a couple of holdovers experienced wide receivers, but you have the young guys at the running back positions, um, tight end, some other places. And I don't think some of those guys are quite ready yet, maybe for to star on this type of stage. And I'm meaning Nick Singleton, Katron Allen, um, some of the linemen as well, but, you know, they're, they're getting there. I mean, they're kind of – I mean, I guess the good thing for Penn State fans is some of these guys are growing during the season. Um, so you don't know exactly what you're going to see. <laughs> They've been inconsistent, and I guess that's part of who they're relying on.
0: This year. How, how different is that at home versus the road? Um, you know,
1: I think they've actually well, that's a good question, actually. I, I don't know if it's much different. I mean, they, you know, they started off playing pretty well, actually. Two of their their two best games were on the road against uh Purdue and Auburn, but then they got they self-destructed continually in the second half at Michigan. Um at home, they've been they were they probably played their best all around game last weekend, but they were not good two games against lesser competition, Northwestern and Central Michigan, they just kind of plotted through.
0: Right, right. Um, let's talk about the Michigan loss. Uh, you know, I, I watched it, <laughs> and it was a weird game because Michigan dominated really all the way through, except Penn State actually had, I think, a 16-14 lead, you know, turnovers and whatever. Was your feeling during that game like this This is not going to last? There's no way that Penn State's going to hold on? Or were you thinking, well, maybe, maybe this – you know, the name the polls went out.
1: Well, I didn't really think they would necessarily hold on to the lead, but I didn't expect what happened in the second half. And I'll say that because Penn State's defense over the years has usually been able to adjust to teams as the game goes. That's why they don't usually get blown out um in games, because even if they're facing maybe not the greatest matchup, you know, you get the halftime, you make some adjustments. Um and I've seen that time and again, whether you win or lose, okay, against that team, that's another question. But they did not adjust at all to Michigan's running game. They were they you know they were not they didn't handle their individual duties. They're trying to make plays that they shouldn't have made. They weren't filling gaps, and it just got worse and worse. And it got run over. And it was a bad matchup, I think, in some ways for them, but you know no excuse for getting blown out and and run over like that.
0: What's weird is that other than that game, they've been really good against the run, right?
1: They have been, though. They haven't faced, I do don't—I wouldn't have say, a big-time running game until then, meaning the combination offensive line running backs. Um, really, their strength coming into the season, and I think it's proven out pretty good, is their secondary. They probably have the deepest, most talented secondary they've had probably since I covered the team.
0: Really? That long?
1: Yeah, because they were always known a little more as bend but don't break back there. Um, You know, a time and again, a star here and there, but they have a legitimate possible first round draft choice in Joey Porter Jr. You don't, Penn State's never had a first round draft pick as a cornerback ever in their history. Of their program. (laughs) But Kalen King on the other side is actually done probably doesn't get nearly as much attention, but he's probably played just as well as Joey has. Um, And they got and they have backups there and they have depth at uh, safety. So they're more equipped there than they are. Linebacker has been an issue for them. Maybe they straightened some things out by getting their two best ones on the field at the same time last week, but that has been an issue. And their pass rush off the edge has been just average so far.
0: Well, it's funny. You know, Penn State forever was known as linebacker U, of course. And in Ohio State, you know, prides themselves on being, you know, DBU specifically quarterbacks and so, uh, and Ohio State's cornerbacks have struggled this year. Right, Ohio State's linebackers have played very well. And Ohio State's always had good linebackers, at least usually had good linebackers. But uh, it's kind of funny how the how the kind of the, whatever things have flipped a little bit. Um, but let's talk about, about uh, Sean Clifford. As you said, sixth year, he's been there forever, right? I mean. <laughs> and he
1: committed to them early. So I've been writing stories about him for seven years, though.
0: There's a he bit was. of a JT Barrett effect, I think. That the longer a guy's there, the 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 fan base starts to see the the limitations more than the strengths. Sure. Um, is that is that kicked in at Penn State?
1: Yeah, it's kicked in. I'll give you an example. The Whiteout crowd was booing him during announcements and at the beginning of the game. Okay, so you the last thing you want is 109,000 people kind of going against you. Um, but Sean. You know, he, he's limited, I guess, certainly now we know physically, but I mean, his personality, tough, you know, his demeanor, tough, physical, He's gives you everything he's got. So I don't think that bothered him so much, but he is what he is. I mean his accuracy is always going to be around 60% and really not much better. Now m- m- last week he, he was better because they seemingly diversified the offense and the play calling a little bit. And they, guess what? They finally used their tight ends. They, and I say that because together they have three of them that they might have the best tight end room, one of the best in the country, but you wouldn't know it because they haven't used them catching the ball until last Saturday.
0: Hmm. Hmm. Um. I I wanted to go back. I should have addressed this more. Uh, the matchup between Ohio State's wide receivers and Penn State's defensive backs. Um, is that, in your view, maybe the key to the game? You know, I think
1: the broader passing defense pictures may be the, the bigger key to me. I think the, the cornerbacks, wide receivers is definitely part of it, but Penn State will not win that matchup either if they cannot get some pressure on CJ Stroud and disrupt him because you know, you can only cover guys so long and how long can you cover the best group of wide receivers in the country? Probably not forever. So they cannot allow CJ Stroud to sit back there and comfortably throw the ball around time. And again, that just won't happen. It won't matter who their defensive backs are to me. If they do not get some pressure on him and they're going to, it's going to be interesting because they're going to probably let a lot of those guys on islands, and try to bring some pressure up front. I mean, one, to stop the running game. I mean, Iowa did a little bit of that, but also to try to get some pressure on the quarterback. So the guy to watch for is Jair Brown, who is their be- probably their best all-around defensive player. He's not a big guy. He plays safety, but they use him everywhere. He'll play defensive end at the goal line. He'll play safety. He'll come up as a linebacker. He's a guy – he's a type of guy that they're going to try to probably get into the backfield, Um, and that's going to be the key to me. If they cannot disrupt C.J. Stroud at all, good
0: luck. Yeah. I mean, I've always thought the best pass defense is a pass rush, right? I mean, you can mask average cornerbacks if the quarterback doesn't have time to throw, Uh, and Uh, nobody can cover forever, as you said.
1: They can't. And, and, you know, and the other thing is – so. As good as any passing team is, Penn State's going to, in Manny Diaz's defense, they're probably going to at least have a few opportunities, right? They're going to have to take advantage of them. I mean, if they get their hands on the ball, they got to catch it. they got to make a dramatic turnover. They have to make maybe a couple of them. They can't let, you know, it, one or two interceptions turn into to just pass breakups. Not in this game. I mean, you you know, you're going to have to do a few dramatic things, and take advantage of them to turn the tide. Because you can't go just, you know, toe-to-toe with Ohio State for three and four quarters and think you're going to stay in the game. Right.
0: I mean, I think that's the story with every Ohio State game against decent competition. You know, against bad competition, there's no chance. But against decent competition, Mm -hmm. you still need, uh, you know, you still need some breaks. You need some turnovers. You know, Iowa got the scoop and score last week, and it didn't matter in the scheme of things. Right. Uh, you know, Penn state's obviously better than Iowa, certainly on offense. They are better than <laughs> and you and I are better than Iowa on offense. <laughs> well, they have more potential
1: certainly than Iowa. And I, you know, at times this year, they have not looked better than Iowa on offense, but again, you got to take, to me, it's, I know they got, they pay guys millions of dollars to do analytics and come up with their game plans. But to me, there's been times where they have not taken advantage of what, they have at their disposal. And I go back again to the tight ends because they don't have the big time wideouts like they have sometimes in the past. They don't have a Jahan Dotson. Right. Okay. They don't have a, a proven guy like Miles Sanders or Saquon Barkley running the ball. Right. But they do have, like I mentioned, three top end tight ends who are big, fast, and can catch the ball. And not just one or two, but three. So how are you not using that to your advantage? I mean, I know you have to have those guys block at some point, but you don't need all three of them blocking all the time at the same time. Well, finally, they started throwing the ball to them. And Theo Johnson, 84, is probably the most talented of them all. Six foot six. I mean, throwing him down the seam, suddenly they did that last week. And it really, I I swear, it opened up the offense being for Clifford to have a guy you could throw the ball down the field to suddenly the wideouts had a little more room. And then and then eventually the running game kicked in. But if you can't do that, I don't I mean, they're gonna have a rough time.
0: They looked very good against Minnesota, right? I mean that, that was right. They have they actually had a vertical
1: passing game, which they at times maybe it's surprising to others outside, but they have not had this year a vertical passing game that has been anything worth knowing right. until Saturday.
0: Again, I'm I'm with Frank Badani from the York Daily Record, uh discussing Penn State here on the Buckeye Extra football podcast. Um let's let's go to James Franklin. <laughs> he gets okay. a big contract extension. The Ryan Day probably said thank you very much. You know, uh raised the bar a little bit on on his sure. extension. Um, you know, he's had success at Penn State. There's no question he's not been a failure at Penn State. But you know, a few years ago when Ohio State beat them the famous line was, you know, where I think it was said, we're great, but not elite, is it? Right. right? They've never gotten to elite. Um, so what's what's the feeling inside the fan base about James Franklin right now?
1: Um, you know, people are impatient, as as they would be at Penn State or Alabama or Ohio State or any of those types of programs when you're expected to win and you don't win as much as people want and when you've had success and you don't keep matching it i mean ohio state keeps matching their success penn state had success in 2016 and 17 and even to some degree in 19 but they haven't matched it now you know people asked james franklin about that yesterday the comment you made and he said well you know some things he's great at talking around stuff like all these guys are that get paid 10 million dollars a year but You know, he mentioned how some things have happened that put them off schedule or however you want to say it, which, you know, in his defense is kind of true. I mean, 2020 was a bigger disaster for them than most teams because because they fuel on family and recruiting is you got to come there. You can't sell Penn State the way you can think you can without being there. So they lost in recruiting. So the best player in the country, I believe, decided not to play in the football season, and that's Michael Parsons. I think no one would argue that. If you see what Michael Parsons is doing now in the NFL, he was just ready to take that next turn that season. Well, he didn't play, and then their All American running back Journey Brown was disqualified for a medical dish condition before the season, and then their next running back was lost for the year on the first drive of the first game in Indiana. And then they lost the game on the two-point Michael Penix grail dive for the end zone. So they just were really, and then you just had COVID. So they just were completely not who you thought they might be. And they had to suddenly figure out who they were. And it's not, I'm not saying this as an excuse. I'm just saying that things did not go as planned. Right. Do you know what I mean? And then, you know, last year, and, and you see, the thing is, they're not built like Ohio State and Alabama, right? So there's less room for error. You have a couple guys get hurt at the wrong spots at Penn State. You're in a different position than you are at Ohio State because you just don't have the roster. I mean, there's no there's no teams that have the roster like the three or four or five top teams in the country. And Ohio State's one of them. So when they hit losses, sometimes you really feel it. Look at last year, 5-0. and they're not a great team, but they're getting better. And they lose at Iowa. They lose their starting quarterback, their best defensive player in P.J. Mustapher and the game. <laughs> so and then they go to you know yeah. Illinois the next week or they play at them at home and lose in nine overtimes. And right, Clifford, right. Clifford never does not play in a game, but he's walking around with cracked ribs. He can't run. He can't. You know, it just was a mess. And that doesn't happened that way at Ohio State because Kyle McCord comes in and plays. They did not have a backup quarterback. And maybe that's on the coaches or whatever the case is. But they've had some things happen to them that you could say it's their fault, but it didn't go as it could have. And they're still – I mean, they're just fighting and clawing to try to match up to the team that is their measuring stick. I mean, that's just what it is.
0: Uh, There are several Pennsylvanians on Ohio State. You mentioned Kyle McCord, um, his high school teammate, Marvin Harrison Jr., Julian Fleming. Mm -hmm. How much does that kind of stick in the craw of Penn State fans that those guys are playing for Ohio State?
1: You know, it does. I mean, Julian Fleming, kind of for whatever reason, he's the one that the name gets mentioned. I mean, I'm not saying he's as good as the other two guys, maybe as football players, right? But he's the one that they bring up because there is so much attention on Julian and everyone, you know, his star rating, and he's going to go to Penn State, and it's a big win. And then when he doesn't, I don't know, it just had a different feel. I guess maybe because you never got the feel that Marvin Harrison and Kyle Record were going to Penn State, right? But you thought maybe Julian Fleming was. And then I think Penn State fans thought they got the, you know, they didn't get what they expected to get. And okay. that one is still brought up. So. <laughs>
0: You know, I've kind of thought since NIL came into existence that that schools like Penn State would be at a disadvantage only because state colleges is, is in the middle of nowhere. It's a small college town. Mm-hmm. It's not in a major metropolitan city like right. Columbus. Um, has that. Am, am I right about that? Or? Yes. OK.
1: And they don't. The university doesn't have the NIL mindset. Right. I mean. Penn State certainly has had their issues over the years. Okay, I think we know what some of those were in 2011, right? But, yeah. but they never had, the, I don't think the people running the, the place really had the idea that NIL is what we want to use, that type of thing to get ahead. Like that's not been in their mindset at Penn State. You know joe was there for how many years and they did things a certain way and I, I don't know i just think that and because some of the things you mentioned they were not prepared for nil james franklin has been yelling and screaming about it for the last two years and now they got a new ad and penn state is catching up but it's going to be it's going to it's going to take more time and you're never going to be able to get over the being in the middle of nowhere part of things but they are catching up with the collectives and you know, I don't know what kind of how that's going to help. I mean, I, I don't think it's killed them in recruiting. I mean, I know they've lost. I'm sure. I know they've lost some kids to it. I, I don't think it's killed them, um, but it's made a it's it has made a difference, and I think they are catching up. But you know, here's the other thing: you still what they do better recruiting wise, and I think most anybody in the country is getting on kids and identifying them early, even if they don't get them. All right, Justin Fields, hello. So he was committed to Penn State, if you remember. Right. I mean, you got on him before anyone else did. Okay, and Drew Aller, right? I mean, Ohio State maybe didn't need a quarterback, but if they knew where Drew was going to go, do you think they would have went on him a little harder sooner? Well, I'm right. thinking, yeah. So they have that at their advantage. It's just can you lock up those kids? And I think with NIL and who they've been – the kids in the South are still going to be a, an issue for them,
0: right? And Drew Aller, obviously, Ohio State didn't go after him because they had Quinn Ewers, uh, right? You know, <laughs> which you know, some a few uh, twists and turns on that little saga. Sure. Uh let's, let's talk about Drew Aller. I, I would imagine that Penn State fans who who are tired of Sean Clifford are clamoring to see Drew Aller, and you know, he's got a big time arm, five star guy. Uh, how much how much clamoring is there?
1: Lots. They want him. They wanted him yesterday. They wanted him, and they see when Sean got hurt a little bit in the first game of the year. All of a sudden, on the road, first game, Drew Aller had to come in cold, and he did, and he looked really good, which only fueled it even more. He only played like one series or two, I think one, but he threw, you know, he looked like he belonged because he, he he went back to he threw four or five passes in the middle of the game, cold in the third quarter. And he looked really good. And then he looked good in, um, you know, the next game, even though it was against an overmatched team, he came in and he looked good. So that only got people going more. And they all, everybody knows the ratings and the rankings and the prestige. And then, you know, the backup quarterback's the most popular guy in the team anyway, right? Of course.
0: Except for Ohio State, I would say that CJ Stroud is pretty popular. I don't think there's clamoring for... No,
1: but you know what I'm saying. That has a tendency to be sure. And um, so they really, yeah, they want him. I mean, how good is he really going to be? I, I I, mean, obviously we don't, we don't know, but he's, he, the thing I think that what Penn state has been impressed at is the intangibles that he's shown so quickly, not the arm strength, not the, you know, it's being able to have a, a presence about him so quickly with running the offense and kind of knowing how to handle things. That's like the feel that some guys never get. And maybe some things Sean Clifford will never get.
0: If, if something happens with Sean Clifford injury or ineffectiveness and Drew Aller comes in, do you think he could, you know, be a spark and really throw a scare into Ohio state? You know, that's a good question
1: because I think they believe that right now, if Sean Clifford is healthy, he gives them the best chance to win each week. And, that he's, as a six-year kid, he does manage the team really well. And you can tell that pre-snap, you can see how he's a leader, you can see how he does that. So I think there might be some things. I mean, Drew, there, everything's going to be new for Drew, too. You know, I think there's some things that he would look at, you'd look at that he can make some throws, so even maybe some reads Sean isn't making or doing, but there's going to be things that are going to confuse him as well. And you saw that at the end of the Michigan game, um when he did get in there he got beat up a little bit no no fault of his it's just that you know you're going against that defense you've never seen that before in your college life it's the same thing with the running backs you know those two kids I think are both going to be really really good but this is their first time man I mean their first time playing in a rain game that was their first time playing a team like Michigan I mean there's learning to do right Nick Singleton can't just do what he did in high school and bounce it to the outside against every defense in the Big 10 and run for 70 yards. It just so he's got to learn, right, how to do something different effectively. He's got all this ability, but he's it's still a learning process.
0: That's a little bit what Trevion Henderson's going through here. And, right. and uh, you know, some guys just come in and get it. And just are off, but you know, most guys struggle. You know, you find, I mean, J.K. Dobbins, his second year here, after a good first year, uh, kind of had a sophomore slump. And, and then right. the next year was was great again. Um, let me ask you about uh, Manny Diaz and the new defensive scheme. How different is it?
1: It's a little more aggressive, a little more attacking. I, I think you see that, like, Manny realizes, okay, so the best part of my defense is my secondary. It's where I have maybe the most talented depth. So I want to get those guys on the field as much as possible. And I don't know if you always saw that in Penn State defenses. So he'll use six defensive backs on the field at the same time. And all of a sudden, they'll almost all of them be lined up at scrimmage. You don't know what they're going to do. So there's different – he's a little more aggressive and attacking. Um, I can't say that they've been – a better blitzing, getting to the quarterback type of defense, which they—I don't think they have—but they've shown a lot of different looks, and they—and they're using their, I think, their personnel about as good as you can. I mean, it's his first year there. Linebacker is an issue because they do not have the depth or the overall talent, but they're one of their best players is number eleven, Abdul Carter, who's a a, a true freshman. Again, like the running backs, like Drew Aller, he's learning as he goes. And he's getting better. And they're finally, I think, comfortable with using him way more often. So he'll be a guy to watch on Saturday. He's wearing number 11 because that's a gifted uh, linebacker number at Penn State. It's Navarro Arrington, Navarro Bowman, and Micah Parsons. And he's in that realm, but is he there yet? No, obviously. I mean, Micah Parsons was only so good his first year – too so
0: yeah uh it's a noon game not a whiteout how different will the atmosphere be compared to what ohio state fans are used to
1: that's a great question because i'm trying to think back to the last time penn state had a huge noon game i I can't even tell you bill when exactly that was like a huge one like this type of game because maybe they've played michigan at noon but i don't think they have um You know, weirdly enough, the game after the Sandusky scandal broke, they played Nebraska at noon. And the place was packed for obvious reasons. But it was such a weird feeling, aside from everything that went on, right? to see that stadium that way at noon. Because I don't know if it's like this in Columbus, but noon games, typically they'll gradually fill up. The student section is kind of half with it, half not. And usually they're not playing a great team, so this is going to be different. I don't. I, I would expect that the crowd will be more revved up than usual. Obviously, it will be filled. Um, it won't be a whiteout at night.
0: <laughs> What's just going to kind of catch the chase here? What's uh, the level of optimism or pessimism among Penn State fans uh, about this game
1: for this game in particular? Yeah. I don't think yeah. anybody believes. I don't think most diehard Penn State fans believe they can win this game. Now, there's hope, right? Because you witnessed 2016. Right. There's always hope. And but I think it's not that...
0: That's Ohio State uh, had a, a punt block and, of course, the field goal blocks returned for a touchdown. Right. Penn State wins in an upset.
1: Right. But I, I don't think Penn State fans are delusional at all. I think they've seen what this is... It'd be different if this game was played soon after they played Auburn right and they look good against the team that obviously is not that good and they were three or four and oh I think Penn State fans would be like we can win this game maybe I think they've seen enough to understand who their team is and understand and this is the way I kind of predict the game is that if you can give a great effort and somehow stay close maybe something can happen for you but to me, I think Penn State fans believe, you know, the biggest thing is let's compete. Let's not have this be like Michigan two weeks ago or whatever. You know, let's try to stay close. You know, let's, you know, they usually play Ohio State close, no matter what situation. I mean, who would have ever thought that they would be in that game last year, considering Sean Clifford could barely move. You know, I told you, you know, P.J. lost their tackle, lost the, illinois in nine overtimes are you kidding right Right. and then you have to go to columbus at night that did not look good bill that was not a good setting for them they they hung in there and you know how they hung in there is they decided that they were going to play tough up front and they did that and they didn't win all the battles but i you cannot just run and gun with ohio state you have to be you have to do To some degree what iowa did you got to be tough up front in the trenches you got to be able to stand up to them and maybe that doesn't win you the game but it did help penn state stay in it last year
0: correct me if i'm wrong but i think james franklin said after the michigan game that their linemen penn state's linemen are just not big enough physically are not big enough
1: you know, I don't know. Yeah, you know, and that's his own. I mean, he's indicting himself, that, right?
0: It's who's, who's, you know, he's the. He's you the know,
1: he, I don't know. You know, he's saying that sometimes after emotional games, his his thoughts start to leak out to the <laughs> media when I don't think he wants them to. And I'm not even sure. I mean, yeah, I see, Michigan though has two 300 and some pound defensive tackles. Right, one guy's like 330, the other guy's like 310, and they have a defensive end who's like. 290 okay we don't see that kind of measurements everywhere and ohio state's big and talented but you know penn state is not small across the front maybe you know and you have one of the better i don't know I, that's a weird conversation that he got yeah. into but
0: well i don't. this has nothing new with you and you probably don't care about this but you know ohio state fans are always obsessed with michigan of course You've seen Michigan up close. Obviously, I obviously haven't seen Ohio State in person. Yes, probably seen enough. What's your kind of uh, view of of how those teams match up?
1: I think. Oh well, I think Ohio State is going to have to. They're going to. They could be in the same position they were last year if they do not account for the way. I mean, Michigan is not just big up front. They are good and talented, and the way that they they did things to Penn State in the run game that Penn State had not seen on film, the way they were moving their linemen, the way they were, um, you know, just running the football is impressive. And I think people outside don't get it, how impressive it is because it's boring to some degree, right? Okay. Wow. You're running the football with Blake Corum and how exciting is this? But the way they do it, They're going to, I mean, Ohio State's going to have to be able to match up with them up front. And I guess the big key to me is where does J.J. McCarthy, where is he at at the end of the year as a quarterback? Yeah. Yeah. You know, Penn State wanted to pressure him because it was his first game against, we thought, you know, better competition as a starter. And they got a little pressure, but they didn't really, I don't. still don't think he's been pressured as a, so if if Ohio State can disrupt him, And shake him up, that's a huge thing. I think they're going to be better prepared because of what they went through last year, Ohio State. So certainly it's not about talent. It's not like Michigan has more talent than they do. It's a philosophy that Ohio State and the rest of the league and the country don't see a lot anymore, right? They are Penn State, I mean, Michigan is now committed to doing what Jim Harbaugh always wanted to do, and he's doing it well, and it's what you do not see very often so you have to adjust to it and i think it's hard to adjust to it in practice and in theory until you see it up front and it's hitting you in the face
0: well they got hit in the face last year
1: yes and i think they will be better prepared for it but it's still going to be some shock value because you just don't there's not another team ohio state's going to play that's going to do that
0: i mean that's the thing i mean you look at ohio state's schedule and i was just that ohio state's fault You, you would have thought Beating of the year. If you look at the schedule in, in August, you go, okay, you open Notre Dame. That's a tough one. you got to play Wisconsin and Iowa. That's Those are tough games, right? Hmm. I mean, you know, uh, yeah, at Penn State, at Michigan State, you know, New Year's Six team last year. You know, even Maryland has a chance to be a little dangerous. Uh, you know, for a MAC team, Toledo's good. So, I mean, you look at the schedule and you go, okay – there's some there's some potential potholes here, and they've just, you know, except for Notre Dame, which they still won fairly comfortably. Sure. They've just blown through everybody, and you know, you you kind of thought, okay, Penn State would be kind of the last stand for a non-Michigan opponent. Well, I mean, you you don't sound real optimistic about Penn State's chances.
1: Well, I mean, I'm just being real. I'm just being honest. Well, I, I mean, right, I, I want think, you to be. I think that I'm not saying they can't play them close. I mean, I'm kind of going. I could see the game going a few different ways. Um, I could see Penn State giving everything they got and just not being able to handle Ohio State's offense, and it gets kind of the score maybe gets worse than it should. I mean, I'm going to pick it about ten points and kind of go in in the, in the middle, right? Not saying that they're going to push them, Ohio State to the wire, obviously, but that there might be not going to get blown out as they could. And I don't know if it would be if they if they can't handle this offense. Is that really a bad mark against Penn State this year? I, I don't think because this is like it, this might be to me one of Ohio State's best offenses that I've ever seen. And they and that's crazy, maybe for me to say, because I've watched so many of them. But I mean it's right up there, wouldn't you say? I mean Oh yeah. Yeah. So no doubt. And I'm not and it's like go back to ninety four Penn State. Just because you got run out of that stadium by that offense doesn't mean you're a bad team. It just may mean this is what it is. Now, Penn State is probably built. James Franklin acknowledges you recruit and you build your team to be able to compete against what Ohio State does. That's not what Michigan does. So I think there is a little bit of a mismatch on philosophies and styles and Penn State couldn't adjust to Michigan. Now, maybe they're a little better, you know, but here's the thing. Penn State's defense can't win this game. Penn State's offense, to stay in it, is going to have to be productive and score points and not get and, and do it from the beginning. And to me, that's the only way they can stay close to let a block punt, a block kick, a big return even make a difference, is if their offense can pick up where it left off last week and actually not match Ohio State, maybe score for score, but stay in it. they got to be productive. Penn State's defense cannot hope to win this game.
0: Well, Frank, we appreciate all your insights. You know, it's, it's it's always good to see you. Always good to see you on the Zoom, on the no, podcast. Too, and I uh, appreciate you doing this every, every year and look forward to seeing you on Saturday. Again, Absolutely. Frank Badani from the York Daily Record has covered Penn State since 1994. Thank you very much, Frank. Appreciate it. Glad to be here. Be sure and subscribe to the Buckeye Extra podcast in the iTunes Store, the Google Play Store, or on Stitcher.